Amen. Well, let's turn now to Psalm 49. And we will read God's word together. Psalm 49. It has been ten weeks in the Psalms that we have spent together. As we conclude this section of the Psalms this morning, with the Psalms of the Sons of Korah, we're going to stop here at number 49. Lord willing, next week we will go into 2 Corinthians. So if you want to uh, be reading over 2 Corinthians, 13 chapters, you want to read two chapters a day, get a good understanding of 2 Corinthians, you can be doing that this week. But for this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 49. The word of the Lord says in verse 1, Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble? When the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for shale. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in shale, with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of shale, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich. When the glory of his house increases, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast's. That perish. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray for God's help. Oh God, we thank you again that you have revealed yourself in your word. Thank you for the wisdom of your word coming from you, the God who is all wise, the God who sees all and knows all. We know that because of our sin, we desire foolishness. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit to help us. Help us to live a wise life. 
Help us to see the wisdom of your word, to not listen to the accuser and to Satan who desires to deceive us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to pay attention to your word, to learn from it, and to draw near to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is a life worth? How much is life worth? In the history of our world, people have tried to put a monetary price on life. They put a value with money on life. In America's history 200 years ago, when there was slavery, people would sell other human beings for money. And they would People would pay a few hundred dollars to a few thousand dollars, which in today's economy would would have been tens of thousands of dollars. It was a a way that people actually thought, they said, that that person's life was worth only a few hundred dollars or a few thousand. And we still have slavery today. We have trafficking around the world where young women especially are sold for only a few hundred dollars. Somebody has put a price on that person's life. We have other ways that people put a value on life today. And some people, some women, they choose to get abortions because they say that to have a baby would hinder their career. And so they make a choice that they could spend a few hundred dollars to end a life, or they could uh, keep the baby. And if they were to end the life, they say that they would advance their careers and make thousands and maybe even millions of dollars. So they make a choice. They put a value, a money on that life by ending it. One other example is a, a young lady who wrote her story of abuse. And in her story, people put a value on her life and her justice for her life. She experienced abuse and an organization covered it up. And they reason that they covered it up was because if it were to come out, then they would lose millions of dollars in sponsorships and money. And so she titled her story, What is a little girl worth. That organization put a monetary value on her life. It was worth the millions of dollars that they would get for her to continue to experience abuse instead of getting justice. What's a life worth? Well, that's a psalm that this question puts to us. What is the monetary value that you could put on a life. But the psalm puts that question to us in a different way by talking about people who have lots of money, people who are wealthy. But putting the question to us by saying, why do we care so much about wealth? Why do we care so much about money? Is money more valuable than your life? Can money pay for your soul? 
The psalm asks the question that Jesus asks us. What good is it to gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Because the answer to the question in this psalm is that life is without price. You cannot put a monetary value on it. Every life created in the image of God has a soul and it doesn't matter how much it would cost to keep that life. That life is priceless. And so we are to consider if the pursuit of money, the pursuit of wealth is wise for us at the expense of our souls. We're to consider if this life on earth is more important than our eternal souls. That's what this psalm is asking us to do. So we're going to look at this psalm in five parts. You have an outline there in your bulletin. In the first part of the psalm, he introduces the riddle. The first four verses. And so first he tells us who this riddle is for. Who is this psalm for? Verses 1 and 2, he says, Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. So this psalm is for all peoples. Are you a person? This psalm's for you. This psalm is for all inhabitants of the world. Do you dwell? Are you an inhabitant of this world? And the psalm is for you. You need to listen to the psalm. It's for both low and high, rich and poor. Are, are you rich? Well, this psalm's for you. Are you poor? Well, this psalm is for you. Now, a lot of this psalm seems to be addressed or, or talking mainly about the rich and kind of their, their foolishness. So you would think that this psalm is to rich people and tell them, look, stop being so foolish. Well, that's part of it. But it's also for the poor. Because the poor can envy the rich. The poor can desire to be have all those riches. The poor can look at them and, and be obsessed with money. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You can love money. And so this psalm is for both low and high, rich and poor. Well, next he tells us how he's going to teach us. He's going to teach us in a riddle. Verses 3 and 4. My mouth shall speak wisdom. I have a wise saying for you, he says. I want to show you wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I want you to have understanding. And you'll notice a line that comes up a few times in this psalm. In verse 12 and verse 20. Uh, verse 20 specifically, he uses the word understanding. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perish. He doesn't want you to be like a beast. He doesn't want you to be like an animal. Animals can't understand things like this. But human beings are able to understand. So he wants you to be wise. So he's going to tell you wisdom, understanding. And he says in verse 4, I will incline my ear to a proverb, a wise saying. And then he says, I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. And so this psalm is a riddle, a wise saying, a way of presenting wisdom to us. Riddle in uh, the Bible is not always the kind of riddles that we think of. 
We think of riddles as like a word game, a puzzle based on how you say things. So if I were to say, kids, uh, don't answer out loud, but uh, what, what feeds me and I live, but kills me if you give me water? Sorry, what feeds me and I will live, but kills me if you give me water? Well, the answer to that riddle is fire. And so you see there's a play on words with fire. You don't actually give water to fire to drink, but you get the idea. You put water on a fire, it dies. So that's the way that we use a a riddle. That's not really, though, what he's talking about here in this song. A riddle is just something that's mysterious. Something that's hard to understand. And so he's going to bring out this big question about life. And he's going to give us some answers. So here's the riddle. It's part two. In verses five and six, he asks the riddle. Why should I fear in times of trouble? When the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me. And those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Why do I fear when the rich are all around me and they trust in their wealth? You could ask this question different ways. Why do I care so much about the rich? Why do we care about rich people? Why do we envy them? We look at them and we wish that we had as much as they have. Why are we obsessed with famous people? Why is our culture obsessed with fame? Why, why do we uh, pay attention to people who sometimes are just famous for being famous? They're not even good at anything. They're, they're just famous because they married somebody famous, or they're related to somebody famous, or they, they, now they, they make an Instagram channel of themselves. They make YouTube videos of themselves, and they become famous for doing nothing but record themselves going around all day doing nothing, living their lives. And yet, it eats us up. We love to pay attention to them, and we wish that we had that kind of life. Why is that? It's so strange. Or, more specifically, why does it bother me so much when I'm being cheated by the rich? He says in verse 5. The rich cheat me. Why does... Amazon have to raise its prices on Amazon Prime, $20. When Jeff Bezos has $170 billion, he doesn't need my $20. He's robbing us. It's cheating us. Why does it bother me so much? Why do we care? Or we can ask the question again the way that we started. What is the life worth? Does it really matter that those wealthy people have so much money? Is that what makes them worthwhile? Why do I care so much about their life and how much money they have? Does that make them more important than me? Am I less valuable because I have less money? That's the riddle. Well, let's see how he answers 
The answer, the first, he gives us two answers. One is in verses 7 to 12. The next one is in verses 13 to 20. And these answers are here to challenge you and me. The first answer he gives in verses 7 to 12 is that money cannot buy life. So again, he asks the question, why? It's not really that. He doesn't know the answer, but he's setting up the answer. Why do I fear when, verse 7, when truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life? For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. So money can't buy life. Why do I care so much about rich people when those riches cannot buy them life? They can't give to God the price of their life. They cannot ransom another or themselves. The ransom of their life is costly. It's it's too expensive. You don't have enough money to come up with to pay for someone's life. So again, this idea of ransom is from the markets of the slave uh, in the Old Testament world, they, they did have slavery, and, and so you would ransom a person, either to redeem them out of slavery or to have someone belong to you, to, to work for you. So there's this idea that you have to pay a price for someone's life. Or in our day, we use the word ransom when it comes to a hostage. Hostage is held ransom. They're kidnapped, they're, they're held there, and the person holding them hostage demands a ransom. They demand that money be paid so that another person can be free. That's what a ransom means. Well, there is not enough money, he says, to pay God the price of another person's life. Now notice there, the price is given to God. Why is the price given to God? Because God is the owner. God is the owner of life. God is the creator of life. It is the prerogative of the sovereign God to decide when life begins and when life ends. This is why the Bible is for life. People talk about being pro-life as a political thing. An ideology. We're not pro-life because of a political party. Pro-life because of the Bible. Because God creates life. From the beginning at conception. And we are to honor and care for life until it dies naturally. And so Christians, biblical Christians, we're against murder in every form. Whether it's abortion or suicide or euthanasia. We are for life from its beginning at conception to its natural death. No individual, no private citizen has a right to take a life into his own hands because God owns life. There is no price that can be paid to give God the price of another man's life. No man can live forever He says in verse 9, you can't pay enough money to live on forever and never see the pit, never see death. The rich people, they they have lots of money. They can pay for all kinds of medical treatment. 
Some really rich people even want to have their bodies cryogenically frozen. And they think that maybe someday there will be this technology that will raise, raise them back up. That they can come to life again with some technology. Well, the Bible says it doesn't matter how much crazy things you can pay for. You'll never be able to become immortal. You can never pay to live forever. It's just not going to work. The Bible says it is appointed for a man to die once and then comes the judgment. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And so all of us as sinners, we will die, whether you're rich or poor. And that's what verses 10 to 12 are now telling us. Let's read it. He says, For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. All will die. He says the wise, the fool, the fool and the stupid, they will perish. No matter how much money they have, if you're rich, you will leave your wealth to others. doesn't matter, he says, how big your house is. Their graves are their homes forever. So get this picture of these rich people with their huge houses, putting so much money and so much energy in, and we putting so much attention and energy to those people and their big houses. But for all of us, our graves will be our houses. All of us will have six feet to live in or to be dead in, in this case. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you call lands by your own names, he says. Van Rensselaer's, good for them. They got a county named after them. So we say their name. Most of us don't even know who they are. Mr. Voorhees, he's got a village named after him. So what? You've got these places named after you, but first of all, you're dead. Who, who cares? You, you don't get any glory while you're dead. And nobody really knows who you are anyway. So you can call Lance by your own names. While you're alive, you think you're really important, but you're going to die. Maybe some of you know this story by Leo Tolstoy. How much land does a man need? It's a story about a man who is very greedy for land. And he goes a few things in his life to acquire more and more land. And then he comes upon this family who makes them this great offer. For a very small amount of money, this family says, we'll make you a deal. You spend a day from sunrise to sunset walking around as much land as you can and marking it out. And when you get back, if you get back by sunset, then we will give you all that land that you have marked out for just a little bit of money. Well, so the man agrees, and because he is very greedy, he walks this very long line, is marking out land 
all day. Then as he sees the sun going down, he realizes that the sun is going to set soon and he's going to be out of time. So he runs a straight line as fast as he can back to the starting point. Well, he makes it. He makes it just in time, right as the sun sets. And the owners give him the land. But the man is so exhausted that right at that moment, he drops dead. And so his servant ends up burying him in a six-foot grave. And so the answer to the question of the story, how much land does a man need? A man only really needs six feet. That's his grave. That's his home forever. Man in his pomp, verse 12 says, will not remain. He's like the beasts that perish. Pomp is ostentatious displays, vanity, showing off, showing like you're, you're great. And, and this, this is what we do. We, we, we look at people in their pomp and we almost worship them. We idolize them. We make them celebrities. They're, they're pompous. They're showing themselves. But the psalm says they're like beasts that perish. Now, this analogy might not work because people really like their pets and people really like animals these days and spend a lot of money on animals. But let's just imagine with me. You can get the point that I'm trying to make. He's making a comparison that men and women are mortal just like animals are mortal. So imagine treating a cat like you treat a celebrity. Imagine building a giant house, mansion for a cat. Imagine putting, taking a bunch of pictures and constantly posting pictures and, and magazines and make, writing news stories and showing on TV all the, the travails and the life and the, the relationships of a cat. Imagine having big award ceremonies and rolling out red carpets for cats. Foolish, isn't it? Foolish. Now, of course, man is created in the image of God, more important than a cat. But why all the pomp? Why all the wealth? Why all the ostentatious display for people that are as mortal as cats? Beasts that perish. And so, this part of the psalm is challenging us. Are you aware that you cannot pay enough money to live forever? Are you aware that you will die? That you're just like any other animal. You will perish. In that sense, you're just like any other animal. You will die. Those of you who are younger, including myself, It's easy for us not to think about the fact that we are going to die. We need to be aware of the wisdom of the Bible. We will die soon. So, are are you living your life with the awareness that soon you will perish? That you cannot live forever? Are the things that you're pursuing, are you pursuing them in light of the fact that soon you will be dead? 
Are you pursuing wealth knowing that you will not be able to leave your wealth to others? Are you pursuing building bigger houses knowing that your grave will be your house forever? What are you going for? What are you seeking in life? If you're younger, you go to school, you take tests. Sometimes we like to put off a test because we don't want to think about it. We've put off studying for the test, but that's not going to do any good. It just means you're going to fail the test. Well, here we have the, the final exam of all final exams. You will die and you will face the judgment of God. What are you doing in light of that? It does you no good to put off the fact that one day you will face the grave. Live today in light of the fact that you will soon be dead. Jonathan Edwards, in his resolutions, he resolved that he would never do anything that he would be afraid to do if it was the last hour of his life. And that's the attitude with which we should live. So that's the first answer. Money can't buy you life And then the second answer of the psalm is money cannot outlast life. In verses 13 to 20. So again, you have these uh, sections. Verse 12 ends one section with that statement about man like a beast. Verse 20 ends it again with man like a beast. So we know this is the, the final section of the psalm. And so he starts by saying that death will come to all. Money will not outlast you, but death will come to all. Verse 13, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. The upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. And so we're going to see a contrast between the godly and the ungodly and It's not inherently ungodly to have wealth or to be rich, but this psalm is talking about the rich who are ungodly. Verse 13, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Foolish confidence. Thinking that their money will help them. And he says, even after them, people approve of their boasts. Even after they die, people approve of their boasts. Our world obsesses over celebrities so much that we're obsessed with their death. We're obsessed with how they died. And we have these big memorial services and people give all these flowers and they shed tears for people that they've never met. People who are famous because they sang a song or, or, or hit a ball. People cry over those foolishly confident people even after they die. And people always say, R.I.P. R.I.P. Rest in peace. Rest in peace to the, to the guy who died of a cocaine overdose. R.I.P. See, what this verse, these verses are saying is that that's not what's going to happen. There is no rest for the wicked. Verse 14 says, instead, they're like sheep appointed for shale. They have an appointment. Just like in Psalm 44, the godly are lined up like sheep for slaughter. The ungodly are all lined up too. 
They have an appointment that God has set for them to soon die. And all these celebrities and their pomp that people fawn over, they're just waiting their turn in line. Who's going to die next? They're appointed for Sheol and death shall be their shepherd. They have pastors. He's a personified death. Pastor death is their pastor. They will die and pastor death Metaphorically, Pastor Death will be there and say, Hi, good to see you here. Welcome to death. Death will be their shepherd. And the worst part is at the end, their form shall be consumed in shale with no place to dwell. No place to dwell, referring back to those houses, Those houses that sheltered them, they will not be there to shelter them anymore. But instead, their form will be consumed. Seems to be saying similar things to what Jesus says about hell. For the wicked, they go to this place called hell, or what Jesus called it, Gehenna, where he says the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. He's quoting Isaiah 66. Place where their form is consumed, but forever. The worm never dies. My understanding of that, then, is that there are worms eating bodies, but never dying. Those bodies never die. Those bodies somehow are continually Alive for eternity to be tormented by those worms. Their form shall be consumed. But the contrast is with verse 15. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. The upright will rule over the, wick, the wicked rich, and God will ransom the godly from Sheol, whereas the rest of them will stay there to be consumed for eternity. Where the worm never dies, the fire is never quenched. So we have a contrast, and we can think of this psalm. These are the psalms of Korah from 42 to 49. This is linking us to psalms like Psalm 44. Remember, the sheep led to slaughter. But there's this contrast that God will ransom. He will rescue his sheep. From Sheol. So if you are the, the, the man or woman of Psalm 42 who longs to be in the presence of God like a deer pants for water, if you are like the person of Psalm 43 who hopes in God, for you shall yet praise him, if you're the person of Psalm 44 who is like a sheep led to slaughter but calls out to God to rescue you and to awake then you're also the person of Psalm 45 who gives glory to the majestic king who rides out in majesty to come and rescue you. And you are the Christian of Psalm 46 who has a very present help in trouble, whose habitation, whose dwelling place is not in the six-foot grave, but in the mighty fortress of God. You are the Christian of Psalm 47 who says that God is your king, and so you rejoice and you shout. 
You are the Christian of Psalm 48 who knows God will be your guide forever, even unto death. And so we see all of that culminating here in this contrast. How does that happen? Because here in Psalm 49, you are not like the ungodly, wealthy people, but you have, verse 15, you have God who will ransom your soul from the power of Sheol. God will receive you. Your form will not be consumed, but your form will be glorified because of the majestic king that you have. Because God did not allow his son to see corruption. God did not allow the Lord Jesus, after three days of death, to remain dead. But God ransomed him. God rescued him from the pit, from the grave. Therefore, God will receive and ransom all who are united to Jesus Christ. If you are united to Christ in a death like his, you will be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so he says, as he concludes the psalm, that this wealth will not last. He says, verse 16, Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. Though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Don't be afraid. Relax. Don't be envious. Don't be so worried obsessed with the rich and their pomp death will level us all off we are all the same we will all die we cannot take our wealth with us have understanding don't be like a beast that perishes so I want to conclude then by asking what do we do with all this What hope do we have with this psalm that is kind of like Ecclesiastes? Vanity of vanities, we're all going to die. Your wealth means nothing. So what? So what do we do? Well, I want to conclude by saying with this point, that only God can pay for your life. Look at some of these verses again. Verses 7 to 9. And contrast it, put it up next to verse 15. Verse 7 says, Truly no man can ransom another. Now, where truly is the same kind of, of phrase that's used in Genesis 2, when God says, Surely you will die if you eat of this fruit. This is absolutely sure. You will die if you eat this fruit. Here in verse 7, we have another statement. You will surely not be able to ransom another. No man can ransom another. And so that should bring up a question for us. Well, how is my soul going to be rescued from this eternal hell that I don't want to be in where my form is consumed forever? You have to put it up to next, next to verse 15. God will ransom my soul. No man can ransom, but God can ransom. 
God pays a price that needs to be paid to ransom my soul. And so what this psalm is telling us is that no mere man can pay for another man's life. Maybe some of you know Anselm of of Canterbury, who wrote a classic book called Why God Became Man. And he makes the point in that book that the way that God saved us was the only possible way that we could have been saved. God, in his infinite wisdom, knew that there was absolutely only one way that sinful human beings could be saved And so he made that way. So Ansel makes the point. Could God, who was only God, save save us? He says, no. We needed a Savior who was like us. We needed a Savior who could identify with us, who could rescue us from our problem. Because he came down into the pit to to face the problem that we we were facing and bring us out of the pit that we were in. And he's making this point from Hebrews chapter 2, which is very clear. That our substitute has to be one of our brothers. Has to be like us in every way except without sin. That is the Savior that we need. So we need a perfect man. That is why no man can ransom another, according to verse 7. Because every other man is a sinner. If a man were to pay a ransom of his life in a place of somebody else... It would be impossible. He would only be paying for his own life. The wages of sin is death. So think of a man in prison. A man is in prison for a crime that he has done. Can he just say, hey, well, put that other guy's sentence on me? That wouldn't work. Because as every year of prison that he's doing, he's, he's paying already for his own sentence. That's why another sinner cannot ransom another sinner. If a sinner would die, he'd be dying for his own sins. We needed a sinless man to ransom us. And that is why he had to be God. He had to be God so that he would be a sinless man. And so the only way of salvation was fulfilled through the Son of God, taking on himself a human nature, being truly God And truly man. Truly God. So that he can ransom us. So that he can be perfect and sinless. Truly man. So that he can be like us. Take the punishment. Die the death that we deserve. That's what Jesus came to do. He says the son of man came to give his life as a ransom for many. So that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was dying because he was taking on himself for the many a price that had to be paid, a crime that had to be punished. But he was doing it not for his own sin. He was the sinless one. He was doing it in the place of sinners, taking on himself the punishment that sinners like you and me deserve. So what is a life worth? A soul is worth The death of Jesus Christ. The death of the Son of God who became man. He paid that ultimate, infinite ransom so that we could be saved. And so we should respond by praising God for His grace 
praising Jesus for his work of salvation and for trusting him, trusting Jesus. We should respond with resting upon Christ as our Savior, the one who pays our debt. We should respond by receiving him and receiving the payment. How foolish would you be if you had the ransom paid for you? The ransom would be offered to you, and you said no. You pushed away the offer of a ransom. You would be a fool. So how many of you today are sitting here faced with a decision? The path of the foolish or the path of the wise? Faced with verse 14 or verse 15? Your form will be consumed forever in eternity where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Or you can have God ransom your soul from hell. Go to Christ. Receive him and rest upon him. That you would be saved. You would know Christ as your ransom. Let's pray. Praise you, O God, for being the God of abundant mercy and showering your grace upon sinners like us. Thank you that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Christ is our wisdom and our righteousness. God, we pray that you would, by your Spirit, help us to live wisely. Help us to live for Christ, to receive him, to rest upon him. Take away, Lord, the deceits of the world and how Satan blinds us to these eternal truths. That we might honor you. That we might live not for the things of this world, but for your glory. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.